I've been looking forward to this. It's good to be with you. I'm thankful for my brother uh, Montague for inviting me, and uh, I get to spend half a day with y'all. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I have to say up front that I uh, grew up in Tennessee, in case you can't tell, uh, in the Bible Belt. I grew up uh, in the home of country music, where we got songs that say, this house is protected by the good Lord and a gun. And if you come unwanted, you'll meet them both, son. Uh, that's my land. Uh, I grew up in the church, in the Bible Belt. You can go going to Sunday school every Sunday. I was a good kid. I, I, I grew up knowing that Christians were well-behaved, good, respectable people. Uh, I was prom king. It was a small town. Uh, <laughs> and then I started reading the words of Jesus. And I'll be honest, it messed with me. I, I read Jesus uh, saying, if you want to be the greatest, become the least. I read the Scriptures saying that God is casting the mighty from their thrones and raising up the lowly. God, God is filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich away empty. And I saw the things I was running after and it kind of collided, you know, in, in me. And uh, uh, I know that there, there are those people all the time I meet that they're like, my life was such a mess and then I met Jesus and everything came together. I'm like, God bless you. For me, I have pretty much had my life together and I met Jesus and He messed me up. I've been kind of trying to figure out this whole thing ever since because I, I looked at the things that I was running after and they were in direct contrast to many of the things that Jesus talked about. And I looked at the world that we live in that is so fractured and so far from the world that I really think God dreamed up, right? And, and so, even in my little town in East Tennessee, in the Bible Belt, we had the Confederate flag on everything in my high school. I saw that Dr. King said one of the most segregated hours in the world is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. That racism and slavery, it's still, uh, we haven't healed from that. And I began to see some of that. And yet I looked at the church and so much in the church was just promising us life after death. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm excited about the afterlife. We're going to party like there's no tomorrow and there won't be. But at, at, at the end of the day, I don't believe that Jesus just came to prepare us to die. I believe that Jesus came to teach us how to live in the kingdom of God that you've been talking about this year that we're hoping for, we're praying for, isn't just something we go up to when we die, but something we bring down while we live. Amen? That this is something that I, as I looked at that, I saw that we were promising people life after death. And half the world is wondering if there's life before death. That they're going, doesn't the good news, doesn't Jesus have anything to speak into this world? And I believe He does. I, I uh, remember my grandmother saying, uh, so many Christians, we can be so heavenly minded that we're not much earthly good. Because we end up just using our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world around us. But I'm excited to be here because I, I think there's something stirring in us right now that realizes there are people in this world who love Jesus and care about justice. That we want to see God's kingdom come down. We want to see the, the good news to the poor and the oppressed set free. So we've been figuring that out in Philly. And I... I um, Went to Philly to go to school. I felt like I needed to get out of East Tennessee and wanted to see the world a little bit. And I went to study sociology because I wanted to study the world. I like how Karl Barth, uh, Karl Barth said, we got to read the Bible in one hand, 
but we need to hold the newspaper in the other. Because these things have to go together. That we, When we think about the kingdom, it's got to affect the world that we live in. And I was studying all that in college, but something happened. And it was 20 years ago that uh, there was a, a real catalytic event. While I was sitting uh, in, in the chapels like you all, studying in my college classes, there were some homeless families in Philadelphia who were struggling. And at the time, there were 3,000 families on the waiting list for affordable housing. Uh, incidentally, then and now, the fastest growing hom homeless population is women with children. And that's what most of these folks were, women with children that were courageous. And these women refused to be invisible. And they said, we're struggling. We're living in cars. We're couch shopping. we got to figure out. we got to expose the struggle of homelessness and the fact that, that, that there are families living on the streets in Philly. And so they looked around North Philadelphia. And ironically, we've got more abandoned housing than there are homeless folks. we got over 20,000 abandoned houses at the same time that there's a 10-year waiting list for housing. And that didn't add up. And they started looking around, and they found one abandoned building in particular. It was an old abandoned church building, a Catholic church, and they moved into it. And they began to live there while they, they're trying to sort things out and find more permanent solutions. But as they moved into the church, it was an act of desperation. They had no, nowhere else to go, and the church had been abandoned for years. And yet, the response of the Catholic archdiocese was they were given an eviction notice within 48 hours, they had to be out. If they weren't, they could be arrested for trespassing on church property. Something about that just didn't feel right, you know. And so we, like, here we are in our college campus. We heard about it and we said, man, we got to do something. You know, it's one of those moments where you kind of throw your hands up at God and you say, God, do something. And we sort of felt God say, I did do something. I made you. Get down there, you know. So we went down and we found that cathedral. And on the front of the cathedral, the families had hung a banner that said, how can we worship a homeless man on Sunday and ignore one on Monday? Uh, and it woke us up. You know, we moved in alongside of them. And we still had to commute back to classes and stuff, you know. But we were going in and out every day. And we got involved in that. And, and uh, the, the clock was ticking. They had 48 hours to get out. And the media started getting involved. And they, they made it look like the church was kicking homeless people out. And that's because the church was kicking homeless people out, you know. And, and we, we started a movement together. We came alongside those families and we said, we're with them, you know, and they held a press conference and the family said, there, uh, there's a bunch of us now. We got pastors and uh, college professors and social workers and priests and we all got together and we said, there's something wrong with this. And uh, they, the, the families were awesome. They said, we've talked to the real owner of this building. The Lord Almighty. And God said we can stay until we figure something else out. And they did stay. It lasted for months and months. And eventually many of them got housing. And they actually walked to the mayor's office as they left voluntarily. And they walked to our mayor's office and they said, You have no idea what, it, what it's like to be a homeless mother with your kids. And he said, but we want you to, to, to imagine with us. Get to know us. Get to know our kids. They're beautiful just like your kids. And walk in our shoes a little while. And then they left that invitation to walk in their shoes and they took off all their shoes and left them in a big pile outside the mayor's office. 
And that was how that story ended. But for us, it was the beginning. You know, it was the beginning of our community uh, at the simple way that we started uh, continuing to live in that spirit uh, that is both a spirit of prayer and a spirit of action. And I'll, I'll tell you, one of my favorite stories has come to be uh, a story I heard in Sunday school over and over growing up, but I've, I've come to see it with new eyes. It's that story of the fishes and loaves miracle that Jesus did, right? So uh, as the story goes, I'll paraphrase it a little bit, but the, uh, Jesus has been preaching for a while and there's you know thousands of people and they all start to get hungry and so the disciples notice this which I think is significant they notice that people are hungry and they come up to Jesus and they're like Jesus there's all these hungry people you need to do something and Jesus's response is awesome he looks back at them and he goes you do something feed the people and the disciples are like what you know like, uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit they're, they're like where are we going to come up with that much money you know where where are we going to get food uh, like papa john's doesn't deliver here you know and they're like thinking about it and jesus says what do you have and the disciples say we got you know this kid's got a lunch he's willing to share we got a few fish and loaves and jesus is like that'll work you know and takes it and adds a little god stuff and like everybody eats and there's baskets left over but what i love about this story is that little kid got to be a part of the miracle and the disciples got to be a part of the miracle that Jesus actually, I think one of the greatest miracles in the world is that Jesus refuses to change the world without us. That, that God wants us to be a part of this. And that was actually a temptation of the devil was to turn all the stones into bread, you know. And, and yet Jesus involves us. And I think what a miracle that is that we are a part of this redemptive story. We get to be a part of it. And now, uh, sometimes I, I think as we look at our world, we're throwing our hands up at God and we're going, God, why do you allow this? And if we, ask, if we listen, we might hear God ask us the same question. Why do you allow this? What are we going to do about immigrants and refugees today? What, what, what do we do when there's injustice? Could we, we've continued over 20 years we began to see injustice in Philadelphia. I mean, it has new faces all the time. Our city, bless them, city of brotherly love and sisterly affection on good days. And we, but but we, our city, the city of love, we begin to pass laws that systemically target the homeless. Laws that make it illegal to sleep in public places. That's what our city did. We began to pass laws that made it illegal to eat in the parks. It was illegal at one point to distribute food to more than four people. Something about five was just too many, over the top, you know, and so like we, but we saw those laws and we said, what does it mean to be Christian in our city? What does it mean to, when, when Jesus said, when I was hungry, did you feed me? We cannot not feed those who are hungry. So we said, let's get creative. And we uh, started having these picnics, um, which we, you know, we wanted to start humbly. So we brought our guitars and our drums and we sang some music and then uh, we served communion which is tricky because you're not allowed to give out food. Uh, and then after communion, though, we kept breaking the bread by bringing in some pizzas and stuff. And uh, eventually, like, we were, one night, we were all arrested. And uh, this is a first for me, you know, uh, handcuffed, taken to jail. My mom was not happy. And uh, it's, it's funny, you know, like, like, 
I, I didn't go to jail before I was a Christian, but anyway, but you know, I, I went to jail and we, we argued our case. So we argued our case and I had a shirt on in court that said Jesus was homeless. And the judge says, tell me about that. I said, yeah, your honor, in the scripture, Jesus says foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And the judge said, you guys might stand a chance. And we did. We argued our case. And a beautiful story. I don't have time to tell the whole thing. I'll tell you later. But uh, the judge basically ended up saying, what's in question isn't whether or not y'all broke the law. It's crystal clear to me that you broke the law. You've been breaking the law. And he said, but let me remind the court, if it weren't for people who broke the bad laws, we wouldn't have the freedom we have. That's what this country's built on from the Boston Tea Party. Come on, Boston. To the civil rights movement. Said that... that have you heard of the Underground Railroad? Like, th that if we would still have slavery if people hadn't broke the bad laws. And he said, these guys are not criminals. They're freedom fighters. And I find them all not guilty on every charge. And he dropped all our charges. You need to pray that we keep getting that same judge, okay? But that, like, we're still challenging those laws. And they're, they're new all the time all over our country. We see laws that, that don't conform to the heart of God, Right? Atlanta, our friends in Atlanta, uh, Atlanta started arresting homeless folks uh, that couldn't find a, a restroom. There weren't public restrooms. You know how hard it is can be to find a restroom. And yet homeless folks that were found like using the restroom in an alleyway or behind a, a dumpster or something were being arrested and charged with a sex crime that would stigmatize the rest of their life because they couldn't find a bathroom. And Atlanta rose up. The church rose up. And they had a campaign called Pee for Free with Dignity. And they asked for public restrooms. They marched to the mayor's office with toilets. And it changed Atlanta, right? We, we see right now a movement around our country. And I, I'm proud to say in Philadelphia, we, we've seen the church rise around the occasion of immigration and refugees and say, uh, actually the question isn't whether or not we're going to welcome immigrants and refugees, but how we can do it responsibly how we can show love and compassion because the Bible says that we're to uh, welcome the foreigner as if they were our own flesh and blood because we ourselves were once foreigners uh, the scripture says Jesus says when you welcome the stranger you welcome me if you don't welcome the stranger you don't welcome me and we've seen the church rise up and one of my favorite stories was this church we got a whole movement in Philly the new sanctuary movement hundreds of Christians hospitality houses sanctuary churches and, and in fact our whole city voted uh, to not comply to federal deportations and be a sanctuary city. But one of the churches was so beautiful. They had been welcoming folks. They said, hey, if you're on the streets and you don't know where you're going, uh, you can stay in our church. And uh, this is a Pentecostal church, so they, they started just packing them in. They started, uh, and, and, and eventually the, the government came in and they said, you can't do this. Uh, you don't have all the licenses and permits. We don't know all these folks. We don't know their papers everything. So uh, we're going to shut this down. You don't mess with the Pentecostals, right? They, they said, we're going to pray about this. We're going to pray about this. And like a week later, they met back up and they said, we prayed about it. And we've heard you say we can't run a shelter. So we want to respect that. We're not going to run a shelter. We're going to have a revival. And it's going to start every night at about 8 o'clock. And Lord willing, it's going to go the next morning. Everybody's welcome. You're welcome. You come to the revival and come to know God. And uh, they, they said, as they opened it up, and you should have seen the news trying to nuance all this. They're like, uh, yeah, so we just talked to the pastor. He said they're no longer running a shelter. They're having a revival. Back to you, Bob. You know, and uh, so we went one night. My friends and I, we went to the revival. And uh, 
All of these families are sharing their stories and we worship Jesus together. And then uh, we had communion. And after a couple of hours, the pastor said, all right, it's about 10 o'clock. That'll conclude the formal revival service. The next eight hours will be silent meditation and contemplative prayer. Everybody have a good night. And as far as I know, that revival's still going. You know, I look at Jesus and he says, we're to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. I think that's what we're called to right now. That Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King, right? He said, uh, Dr. King said, we're not meant to be the chaplain of the state. The church is to be the conscience of the state. We, we're to wake up the country, right? We're, we're to, to say, we're not going to let politicians in D.C. to... Tell us how to treat the least of these. We know that the least of these are Jesus. And so we're going to treat them like Jesus, right? We, we're going to welcome the stranger. We're going to preach good news to the poor. And I think that's what it means, right? To be people of faith that we don't comply to the patterns of this world. As, as Romans says, we're, we're not to conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We got a new imagination. We have new eyes. We believe that the world can be different, so we refuse to accept the world as it is. And we insist on moving the world towards what God wants it to be. So I, one of the, the uh, things that's really caught our attention is um, the early Christians, they loved this image in the Old Testament of... Uh, the prophets, Micah and Isaiah, you know, who are, uh, have this image that God's people will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning hooks. You've heard of that one, right? Like the early Christians love that. They said that's what we are. Like that's actually, the, the, that prophecy is talking about the church. That we actually are fulfilling this God's people turning from death to life. Uh, from things that have, we're going to transform the metal from things that have destroyed life into things that can cultivate it. And we got excited about that in Philly because we, you know, in our country we've got, in our world, this disease of violence, right? And, and almost 90 people a day, over 90 people a day dying uh, from gun violence. And, and in Philly, that, it's about one a day. Chicago, it's almost two a day, right? And, and that, those aren't just statistics. I, I mean, I, I grew up with, with guns. You know, I told Montague this morning, I, I grew up like eating squirrel and stuff. You know, I, I, I grew up hunting. But one of the kids in my neighborhood said, why are there so many gun shops in Philly when there aren't that many deer? That's good, right? Like, and we began to see like that one night there was... The gunshots, we heard the gunshots, and I went outside and saw this young man fall down on my front step. He was hit with a bullet. He, I held his hand. I prayed with him. And the next morning, we found out he didn't make it. He, he died that early that morning. His name was Papito. He's 19 years old. And there comes a point where Dr. King is right when he says, we're called to be the good Samaritan and lift our neighbor out of the ditch. But after you lift so many people out of the ditch, you start to say, maybe we need to rethink the whole road to Jericho. We need to figure out what's landing people in the ditch to begin with. And so we began to look at our city and we saw that there's actually just a handful of gun shops 
that are notoriously trafficking guns into the streets. Over 200 guns sold at these gun shops that are tracked back to them after being used in violent crimes. And we decided we need to get outside and we need to pray. We got to cast out the demons, right? We got to do something about the principalities and powers. So we, we uh, ended up, uh, you'll see a picture here, one of the, uh, some of the churches in our area began to vigil and um, a stand in solidarity. I think Emily's going to bring the pictures up here, there, where we have congregations now that have the names of all of the children uh, of the folks that have died on our streets. And we ended up coming outside of the gun shop. This is one of our really powerful services where on Good Friday, the young men in my neighborhood carried uh, the cross, and it's in front of the gun shop where you see the flags there. The, we, we put the cross, and this is uh, on Good Friday as we're remembering Jesus' death, and we read the story of Jesus' death and the women weeping at the foot of the cross. And then we invited the mothers to come forward and tell their stories about losing their kids on our streets. And i got to tell you, it's one of the most powerful services I've ever been in. Something happened where the tears of those women 2,000 years ago met the tears of the women on our streets and Calvary met Kensington and the gospel connected to the brokenness of our streets, the pain of our streets. And uh, afterwards, I mean, we had some good preaching too about how it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, you know. And we know that in the end, life gets the final word, right? The tomb is empty, but we, we stayed in the pain in a little while on Good Friday. And this woman came up afterwards and she, she had tears rolling down her face and she said, I get it. I understand something today I've never understood this way in my life. I said, what? She said, God understands my pain because God knows what it feels like to lose your son. And I realized it was Papito's mom. She had come and she understood the gospel, which is God is with us. God is born a refugee. God knows what it feels like to get left out in the cold. God knows what it feels like to die on a cross. God knows what it feels like to lose your son, your baby boy. God knows what it feels like. And we got so excited inspired by this vision of moving from death to life that we we got some blacksmiths together and you'll, you'll see a few of the pictures here where we we decided like when, you know when you hope for the kingdom it changes you right you, it changes the one who hopes if you believe that we're going to beat swords into plows. You can't help but start living into that reality, right? The expectation changes like a mother expecting a child. It's an active expectation, right? You take care of yourself. You eat healthy. You paint the room and get it ready. You're, you're preparing the way. And so when you hope, you, you, you live differently. And so we, we decided we're going to start getting some guns. And, um, we, um, this is our first one. It's amazing what you can do with social media. Because, uh, you know, we got in a country with 290 million guns, almost one for every person. We said, I bet there's some people that got some to spare, you know. And so we said on Facebook, if you got an extra gun you want to give, uh, you can donate it. And um, people did. This guy had an AK-47 in his closet. And he's like, I don't know what good is going to come of that. You know, I can't shoot a deer with it. So he just gave it. And we took that AK-47. This is the before. And now you see the after come on turn it into a shovel and a rake right and then people started getting excited we got images from all over the world folks that had taken handguns and made guitars right we got this uh, they really played music on that 
we're going to get you one of those, brother, for the praise band. But, the, uh, you know, like, then you keep going there. You'll see this brother in a Mozambique took a semi-automatic, and he sent this picture from Mozambique, turned it into a saxophone. And then we got an image of uh, my friends uh, in Iraq who got excited, and uh, this is in Najaf. Uh, they took guns and they poured them into the streets, and they said, we want our young people to catch a vision of our Iraq that is not intoxicated with violence. And they, they poured the guns in the streets and they let the kids run the bulldozer over them and crush the guns, right? One of our most powerful uh, convert weapons conversions was recently, we, we got a handgun you'll see here that was uh, in one of the abandoned houses in Philly. We found it in an abandoned house and we uh, heated up the metal but instead of just our blacksmith friends, they taught us all how to do it. And so we got the mothers and fathers who had lost their children on our streets. And this mother took the hammer and she's got a picture of her son who was shot in a random shooting at a movie theater in Philadelphia. And she took that hammer and she began to beat on that gun. And with every thump of the hammer, she said, this is for my boy. And it felt like as Cherie was beating on that gun, she was a part of a holy movement, right? Of transforming a world that's so filled with violence and hatred and hostility. And we saw that gun transform from what it was into what it is. And now, it, that day we made several tools that we can use in our garden. And i got to tell you, I think there's a whole lot of different ways that we can participate in the coming of the kingdom right now, right? I mean, the world is pregnant with the kingdom of God and we get to be the midwives, right? We get to be a part of bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So the invitation right now is for us to listen to the pain of the world, right? To listen. It's in the streets. It's in the airports. It's all over our world. We can hear that Scripture in Romans that says all of creation is groaning for the kingdom as in the pains of childbirth. People are hurting. People are crying. And when I was, uh, when we were in Iraq, I've been, to, been able to go to Iraq and Afghanistan to try to uh, be a peacemaker. As Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? And as we were in Iraq, uh, we heard these kids, my friend heard these kids singing in Iraq, and uh, he recognized the song. I'm tone deaf, so I can't understand anything, but he heard this song, and he recognized it, even though they were singing it in Arabic, right? And he's like, oh my gosh, and, and he got so excited, he got his little handheld recorder and recorded these kids because they were singing in Arabic the song, We Shall Overcome, the freedom song of the civil rights movement, right? We... That groaning is everywhere. And so I want to close today as we dream about what it means to participate in the kingdom of God coming on earth. Listen to these kids in Iraq as they sing, We Shall Overcome. So we got that audio clip we're going to play for you right now. And if you don't have it, I got it on my phone. So we got that, Emily? (laughs) 
Do you know the song, We Shall Overcome? They're going to work on the, on the kids. Okay. Well, when they, when they were singing this, um, they first they sing it in Arabic. And so maybe we, just, maybe we just sing it in solidarity with them. Won't you grab somebody's hand, all right? And uh, we'll extend across. Stand up if you're, if you're able to. And we'll grab a hand. These are the kids in Iraq. Just listen. Just listen to their voice. So God, as we hold one another's hand, we remember those who are alone right now, who are scared right now, who don't have someone reaching out and holding their hands, those who are in our prisons, those who are in our detention centers, those who are on rafts trying to get somewhere safe, those who are just hiding in a closet, scared. And we know that you are not saying to a hurting world, come find the church. But you're saying to us, go ye into all the world. And we pray that you would give us eyes to see, oh God, to see you in your most distressing disguises. Send us into the prisons to visit you where you are in prison. Send us To feed you where you are hungry. To care for you where you are sick. To welcome you where you are a stranger. For we know when we do it unto the least of these, we do it unto you. So may we be instruments of your kingdom. May your kingdom be within us. And may we carry it into the world around us. In Christ's name, Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. You are dismissed.